Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mangum Talks TV. I am Lee. I am here. I am joined by Spencer Spencer. Say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. We are churning our way through HBO Succession. We're on episode five, halfway through season one. We're getting there, Spencer. This episode is called I Went to Market. What did you think? This episode was, I don't know, like a quintessential distillation of this show, of where it was well done, remarkably well acted, and incredibly difficult to watch at times, just given the nature of what's being played out in front of us. Yeah, so this is the Roy Family Thanksgiving episode, which gets as awkward as you might imagine a Thanksgiving with the Roy Family would be. You know, you and I had a debate at one point when we were first watching this episode of whether we'd actually want to be in the room when this happened. I said I wouldn't want to be in the same state. You, on the other hand, wanted to be there in person. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I love this. I love it. To be a fly on the wall with this awkwardness. Oh, and you know what? I, in that respect, and hopefully the only respect, um, I shared this with Roman. Because Roman seemed to be loving all of the events. Oh, yeah. <laughs> during the Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Now, unless you were paying me, you know, Roy family assistant amounts of money to be there, I could not survive the awkwardness that is on display. <laughs> it is fantastic. Um, okay, well, do you want to jump into it? Sold. Okay, uh, I'm going to start doing this, Spencer. I know it's lame, but I'm going to start uh, all of our episodes here on out with Succession by warning everybody that this is a very adult show, uh, and therefore, this podcast will be very adult as well. So if you don't want to hear um, some very adult content, uh, tune out now. Yeah, and if you want to drink along with us as we're doing this, feel free. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a good point. It's our three drink minimum podcast. We're sticking to that today. Spencer, what are you drinking? I am drink. Uh, I am drinking what I've received from BJ, generous man that he is, from Whiskey on the Weekend. So I've got four separate bottles of American and Scotch whiskey here that I am sipping with a little bit of ice. Nice. I've got a uh, bourbon and Coke. We start the day off well because again, normally we record these in the evenings. Today. Sunday at 9 a.m. I wasn't going to tell everybody that. <laughs> so funny. This, this is our dedication. I wasn't going to tell everybody just what hobos we are. That we're doing a three-drink minimum podcast at 9 a.m. But we are indeed doing that. Why? Because we believe in content and we're here for the people. I, I have hopes that you will have a functioning day after this. I'm, there's no hope for me. Doomed. No, I'm, I'm taking a nap right after this. Uh, all right, let's get into the recap. Um, I think, Spencer, we have backed ourselves into... A bit of a format here where we've got the recap, which we normally do on any Mangum Talks TV podcast. Mm-hmm. But then we have a couple segments. We've got um, Roman line of the episode mm-hmm. and Roy of the episode, which de- we debuted in the last um, episode for uh, episode four, which is just who in the Roy family won the episode. I'm, I'm ready for this. And I feel that as we continue through this, maybe by about the end of season two, we will have a functioning, compelling format ready to go. Oh, man, I can't wait for you to see season two. Uh, one thing I've started doing, um, which I'll tell the listeners about, is sending Spencer a Roman quote with no context from season two. Because I've watched everything. I've, I've watched all the way through the end of season two, which uh, ended, I think, last week. And Spencer's only watched up through episode five of season one. So mm-hmm. I just send him random. I think the one I sent you last time was I farted. Uh, Tom farted in his shit. You did. <laughs> That's what Roman said in season two. You said no nothing. <laughs> nothing at all. That just came through. Like the middle of the day, too. Like I'm at work and then I'm looking at it. Okay. <laughs> Tom farted in his shit. <laughs> this is your this this is your version of offering, you know, superior distant Harry Potter wisdom if you just want to taunt me with little details of what's coming in the future. <laughs> yeah, I'm a supportive texter. 
Um, I appreciate this, sir. Now we go into the recap. This starts with Greg. He's picking up Uncle Ewan, uh, who lives in Canada. And apparently Ewan is going to Thanksgiving this year. Whoa. Roy family Thanksgiving, Spencer. It's happening. Uh, it is happening. Greg, and... ask if they can get some lunch before they leave. Spencer, he's got the old rumbling tum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ewan says, the no, old... they need to leave before it snows. I get, it even says, I got the old rumbling tum. Greg, just no, stop, please. <laughs> the old rumbling tum. I'm going to hit you with that in like six months. You're not going to know what happened. And I'm going to respond pretty much the same way Ewan does. <laughs> yeah, no, no. We have to leave before yeah. it snows. We, we pretty quickly deduced two things about Ewan from this initial scene. One, he's got some wealth himself, because this man's living on an estate in Canada, apparently. Yeah, have you picked up uh, where his money come from? Uh, there is a suggestion from Logan in the course of this episode that I was going to debate with you, or at least have you explain. Yeah. All right, well, let's do it when we get there. Okay. Uh, point number two, yep. this man is not fun. This is not, this man is not the life of parties. This is a crotchety man. Probably was crotchety when he was young, even. Yeah, and that gets way worse <laughs> as the episode yeah. goes on. Um, I mean, incredible character to make Logan likable. <laughs> you know, I hadn't really seen it from that perspective. But yeah, James Cromwell makes this individual just, you can't say he's despicable in the same way that Logan or various members of his family are, but just utterly prickly. The fucking worst. Um, all right, we cut to Waystar Royco's offices, and Frank has just pulled Kendall and Roman into a discussion about a potential acquisition Logan wants to pursue. It seems to me, Spencer, that Logan, his strategy as CEO is just buying shit. That seems to be a key part of it, yeah. And it also <laughs> seems that he did not send Frank to go get them to be part of this conversation. No, Frank pulled them in on his own. Um, Low-key Frank is really smart. Uh, he's no He's no Jerry. But he's up there. Yeah, well, the issue with Frank is that Frank is smart, but Frank will... Frank is much more willing to confront people on their problems or mistakes than Jerry is. Because Jerry, like we talked about last episode, exists not to make waves. To appear to be the most valuable person in the room, but always on your side. Yeah, no, Frank doesn't do that. And he's, you know, and that's why he's created an enemy right now in Roman. Because mm. apparently when, when Roman was working... At the studios, because they have a movie studio, um, Roman shut down a lot, or uh, Frank shut down a lot of Roman's ideas. So, not good. Mm-hmm. And they promoted ideas that Roman found abhorrent, as we see in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but anyway, what Logan wants to acquire is a package of local TV stations, which Roman and Kendall immediately balk at. Um, Jerry, to your point, being friendly, non-confrontational, on everybody's side, makes the point that more people get their news from TV than any other medium and local TV has the largest market share. So, you know, it's still kind of a big deal. Kendall's trying to make sense of all this and he's like, okay, well maybe this is like a short-term play for cash. Um, To which Logan responds, great fucking quote here. There's this fancy new business theory. It's called make more than you spend in your king cunt. (laughs) (laughs) He really, Logan is so funny to me because he he clearly abhors business school. Like that, he makes many, many, um, and that's spoiler alert for you, through the first two seasons, uh, references to how much he hates business school. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also makes a reference in this conversation to uh, kind of hating any modern mindset on such conversations of where uh, when one of them says people uh, people come to us because we don't sell them anything. Uh, well, actually, no, he says that. But he resp- uh, when they're kind of telling me, you, you know, you don't, you, we don't want to tell people what to think. 
And he responds, people come to us because they, we don't sell them anything. No packet of fucking bleeding heart United Nations Volvo gender bender horse shit. <laughs> I was, yeah, that that's a hell of a quote. Um, I was going to get there, but we do have Got one, it. another great quote from Logan right, right. before then, um, where he asked the terrifying question, why shouldn't we do all the news? Uh, yeah. Potential potential Roman line of the episode. Well, uh, King John Pop, that's not how things work in this country. <laughs> And here's the thing. When Roman is your moral compass in a conversation, you know things have gotten fucking off the rails. Yeah, yeah. You're really grasping at the, uh, scraping at the bottom of the barrel to find something to stop what you're doing there. <laughs> um, but also, like, after that quote that you just said, that fuck off, people come to us because we don't sell them anything, no back at a bleeding heart, uh, fucking bleeding heart, United Nations Volvo gender bending horseshit. Now I see where Roman gets it from. Right, because that was a very Roman type <laughs> quote. <laughs> yeah, that's again, that's, that's the start of a quote of where he had an idea, but by the end of it, he wasn't sure where it, where it was going to go. <laughs> Fucking knock on Volvo all of a sudden. It was weird. It, it also makes this a remarkably topical episode, wouldn't one say, of where this kind of purchasing of local television stations happened in recent years, did it not? Yeah, it did, and I think that's probably where they got this from. Um, yeah, because they, they they clearly are trying to mirror certain businesses and certain people, um, mm. you know, through the Roy family. Uh, Kendall points out that they likely face regulatory scrutiny for attempting to monopolize the news, which a cogent point from Kendall. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, uh, Kendall, uh, Logan pushes back and Kendall relents. Um, and Logan, then I thought this was interesting because when this first started, I thought, okay, this is one of two things. It's either Logan is still fucked up from the stroke or two, he's just an old man. He doesn't realize that people don't care about local TV anymore. But he makes this great point. He says, look, no, TV's fucked. It needs to consolidate. And we're going to do that. And I think that is your your cue that Logan actually is, has thought about this maybe a little bit more than Kendall and Roman realize. Right. Logan likes to seem to present his ideas as if he's just entirely shooting from the hip and just is expecting everyone just to adjust to whatever remark- strange, shattering thing he just said. But two points of this conversation clearly seem to indicate that he has plotted this out. Three points, actually. Uh, as you just said, he's openly acknowledging that this industry is messed up and dying and needs to do something to survive, and maybe they can provide that. Two, it will provide cash now, which they need. They're, they, they've been suffering problems with cash flow. And three, it controls how people think, because most people are still getting their news from this. So this idea sounds like archaic on the page. It sounds like something that you're buying into a dying industry. But he's consciously aware of this and still consciously aware of the power it offers. Yeah, and isn't like every new player in TV, like Hulu, Netflix, aren't they all doing that? They're trying to consolidate TV? Yeah, pretty much. They see the power that is still here. They see that it's hard necessarily to make a long-term profit on it. And they're not sure where the future potential is, but they're all trying to get into it. And so, <laughs> in some ways, they're doing it late because a few people realized like three or so years ago, okay, local news is cheap right now. I'm going to buy all this up. And now I can send out packages from on high that all local news have to run with, which we've seen that with Sinclair Broadcasting. Yeah. So this is very real and this is very powerful. This is not this is not a dumb move on Logan's part, even if it seems weird to start. Uh, I just want a, a disclaimer here. Um, uh, that, that network that you just mentioned, I won't say their name again. Uh, if they would like to pick up Mangum Talks TV, uh, we're, we're available. Uh, are you willing to go start with a three-minute opener of whatever they require you to say with every episode? I can be bought. I'm glad we've had this conversation now. I wish we'd had it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Kindle says, okay, well, all right, we'll do this. Um, but can we continue to pursue like other diversification? Basically the things that Kindle's interested in. Yeah. Um, which says, sure. Volter is like the number one thing. Uh, yeah. Logan says, sure, in India, China. And then he weirdly asks if they know how many people are in Indonesia, which he mm-hmm. mispronounces. Roman, do you know? Uh, what? Uh, yeah, sure. Who doesn't? Logan just glares at him. <laughs> oh, it's more, more, more than you think. Like, like, a, like, like a billion? Roman, you're a moron. <laughs> <laughs> Such a funny line from Logan. Logan ends the meeting by suggesting that Kindle uh, be based out of a foreign market. Uh, Kindle does not like this, and Roman and Frank are left in the room. Now, the very weird scene here where Logan, everybody leaves except for Frank and Roman, and Logan starts to pour a cup of coffee, and he doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. looks like a Westworld bot who just kind of broke, <laughs> like a freeze-all-motor function situation. That's uh, a really accurate comparison. That is that, that is exactly what we're seeing happen. And finally, Roman comes over, and he like he kind of jars Logan out of this trance that he's in uh, and asks if he's okay, and, and Logan says, yeah, yeah, sure, I'm fine. So a very weird moment there. So it, it, again, they continue to show you these little hints that, yeah, Logan is making sense. I mean, I think this play for local TV does make sense, but he is still feeling the effects of the stroke he suffered in episode one. What do you think of uh, Logan proposing to send Kendall to China? Is this a form of exile, or is this, in effect, giving him exactly what he just wanted about being at the new edge of innovation? I think I read it as he was frustrated that Kendall didn't understand what he was trying to do with this local TV play. Mm-hmm. And he was just, it was like a punitive thing. He was just, he was just that angry at him. And that's how I read it. I acknowledge that when my friends said said this, that it also is, if you want to be in a market where you can actually directly go with new strategies, adjust to new times, present the future thing, United States maybe is not the place to do that. Going into one of the emerging markets where you truly can innovate and start fresh is probably a better place for him to be and work these kind of new ideas rather than working off existing old infrastructure. But didn't Logan specifically say, and you, I think you have the script there, didn't he specifically say go to Shanghai? Uh, based out of Dubai, India, China, wherever. Okay, yeah, because China wouldn't be that market where you can innovate. <laughs> India, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, China would, be, China would be more the market of I'm innovating within the parameters allowed to me by the government. <laughs> yeah, I was told what content to provide. Um, okay. Simple, straightforward. Uh, shout out NBA. Uh, we cut to the world's worst road trip. Um, <laughs> uh, Greg tests out a sort of like, um, you know, uh, a little bit of small talk. He mentions that his mom had a friend who was afraid of flying, but he died in a traffic accident. <laughs> <laughs> I love the looks that Ewan gives him over the course of this conversation. Greg is the best. Like, it's, what an uncomfortable thing. Be like, yeah, yeah. I, had, I knew somebody else who was scared of flying too, and, and they died in a car. Uh, but no, he, did, he does try to clarify that it was, what, he was on a bicycle and the guy was on heavy medication or something like that. I feel like Greg yeah. is just lying at this point. <laughs> He's trying to backtrack. And Greg, here, potential best Greg line of the episode. It's just you and me. We have this whole time to talk about whatever, you know, business, uh, stuff, the the future corporate, you know, or just let the country music play. <laughs> no music, no chatter. Keep your, mind on, keep your mind on the driving. Yeah, and then we see a shot of Greg's GPS, and it shows that he's got 12 hours of nothing ahead of him. Um <laughs> Awful, awful. Also, like, the most stilted conversation I think I've ever seen between a grandson and a grandfather. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not like this is their first time meeting each other either. It seems like they actually kind of vaguely know each other rather well. Yep. Um, 
And yet this is the norm of how they interact, apparently. So fucking weird. We cut to Shiv and Tom having morning coffee. Um, a picturesque relationship here. Um, Tom says he didn't sleep well. Uh, there was times he thought he was asleep, but he wasn't. Um, I know this is a throwaway line here, Spencer, but I totally get that. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you're like sitting there and you're like, I think I'm asleep. And then you like move and you're like, nope, nope, I'm still here. No, I'm one of those people, I'm one of those annoying people that I will lay down and I can be asleep for three minutes for the next eight hours. It's just how I function. God knows, I would pay a lot of money for that. Uh, Shib has the prenup and Tom gets super excited because that means they're getting married. And Shib astutely points out that that is the most romantic way anybody has ever looked at a prenup <laughs> in the history of prenups. Um, Tom doesn't want to look at it, uh, which I actually understand because he, he makes the point. He's like, look, you're for money. I'm not for money. I'll just sign it. Shib doesn't like this, though. And this is, I, I think this is a very interesting thing that Shib does because we've talked about it on this podcast before. We'll continue to talk about it. Tom is like her lapdog. Mm-hmm. Why does she want him to review this prenup? And every other thing she wants to be able to dictate to him what to do. Why does she not want to dictate you know, the financial future of their relationship? I have two theories. Uh, would you like to go first with your theories, though? Uh, no, I actually I don't really have one. I'm just throwing That's, another. Uh, theory number one. Uh, Shiv likes to be in control. She likes to be in charge. But she doesn't want to think that she is. She wants to think that ours is a poor, perfectly normal, healthy relationship where we're in some way co-equal. She wants to have that necessary fiction in some ways to make her feel better about her increasingly manipulative and sometimes abusive relationship of this man. Um, so that's one possible theory in my mind. Point number two, there also is just the legal standpoint that for it to be an enforceable document, there has to be an equal meeting of the minds, and he has to be fully informed as to the nature of what this document says. If he consciously tells her, I'm not reading this, I'm just signing it at the end, that could possibly affect its enforceability. Yeah, I really don't think it's the second one. <laughs> I I mean, it's an astute point from you, but I really think it's the first. And I think what yeah. we see from Shib is she's awful. She's an awful person. But she continues to try to do these really small incremental things to justify to herself that she's not a bad person. And I think this yeah. is one of those moments. I think it's interesting you put it justified to herself. because She seems to be, in some ways almost more than the other characters, actively trying to do that. That she's still trying to prove to herself that she's a good person in a way that maybe some of the other Roys aren't anymore. Yeah, absolutely. We cut to Waystar and Kendall gets on an elevator and two lackeys are on it. Uh, one of them says, down in the pit sty, they're all fans of his. Um, Kendall, perhaps wanting a little ego stroke here, says, okay, wh- what specifically did you like? And the guy actually has answers. When, when I was watching this scene the first time, I thought, oh, man, Kendall called him on some bullshit. But no, he had answers. It's data storage, for example, and then something about a cereal that I didn't catch. Did they mean, like, literal cereal? I think so, I, I, because he, cause Kendall clarified something about muesli. Yeah. Which is a type of cereal. So I don't know. It was very strange. What is Kendall's background with this company that he's been involved with cereals as well? He's he, maybe he has worked his way up after a certain fashion. Well, don't you, couldn't you imagine like in 1998, like Logan just walked in and was like, "We're buying cereal." <laughs> okay, now we're in the cereal market. Sure. <laughs> and Kendall is your first job with the company. You are responsible for cereal. Have you ever heard of this shit, Mussoli? It's very good. Go buy it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it, it it was an interesting conversation because I was just assuming they were just trying to bullshit and bluff to him, but they legitimately come across like they're kind of fans. No, they are. I, I think I think that's what we're meant to take away, and I think that's an important scene. 
because it shows that Kendall does have some backing within the company. Not everybody is blindly following Logan. Uh, mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you pulled these two guys, they would probably want Kendall to run the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cut to Tom. Um, he's speaking to a lawyer. Uh, I think this guy's a lawyer who comes in and he said he talked to a man named Sylvester. Really funny back and forth here. Sylvester, did you use a fake name? I think Sylvester's his real name. <laughs> Who's named Sylvester? <laughs> Great point. He, he, he's just, we pay him. He's normal. He's legit. He's on the record. He says it's easy. It's just like, why are we talking about Sylvester in this conversation? So did you get the impression that this guy was a lawyer as well? I got the impression this guy was providing a certain measure of legal advice through very careful mob-esque mob euphemism terms. Yeah. So apparently, um, this guy's trying to help them clean up the cruise issue. And the plan is for them to shred documents on Thanksgiving, when things are low, and some other guys will come in and dispose of the materials. Um, really stupid move, I thought, here, by engaging in a cover-up. Um, Spencer, Spencer, you have pristine honor. Um, you're Tom in this situation. What do you do? What would I do in this situation? Yeah, if you find I, yourself like, okay, you, you've taken this job, you're the director of cruises and parks, and, you know, good guy Bill, everybody loves Bill, uh, mm -hmm. read you in on this massive um, criminal conspiracy, basically, that, that Waystar had been involved in. Mm -hmm. Would you do what Tom is doing now, which is try to just cover no. it up? Would you do the, I mean, just, I quit? Would you do the press conference? I, I mean, I would do... I. I probably wouldn't do the press conference. I'd probably more be more inclined to quit. Uh, would be my situation for I mean, just from both moral and also just practical reasons. I mean, you're being asked to participate. You're being asked to cover up a massive series of shit. But from a also just a practical standpoint, this is the moment where you are equally culpable in the criminal conspiracy if you're if you're actively participating in the cover up. Uh, so I don't I don't know if Tom fully gets that. Or is just willing to deal with that because she's this is his gateway to wealth and success and everything else that brings. Because uh, I don't know, I don't know how Shiv would take it if he just came in and said, "I quit today." Um, yeah, that's kind of my thought. Is that he the, the quitting option is not on the table for him because of the relationship with Shiv? I yeah, I don't see how that would survive if he just quit from this company right now. Uh, I think it particularly wouldn't survive if he came out and did the press conference. Um, I don't think that's any more of a viable option. Yeah, that was stupid. But I would not go through with what he's... Both mixed between casually and incredibly nervously going through. Um, just, it, 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 is, it, feels, it feels morally wrong, and it also feels like it's directly exposing you to potential blowback in the event that any of this ever comes out. Yeah, because he hasn't done anything wrong until this moment. Yeah, this is the moment of when he's now aiding and abetting this conspiracy. Right. Um, now they just need someone to sign out the documents and shred them. Tom Tom is such a doofus. He asked if the lawyer would do it. Uh, not a reasonable ask there. <laughs> yeah, the lawyer just looks utterly baffled. It's like, well, I could, but maybe we want to get someone lower down. It's a little uh, sensitive. Uh, <laughs> Tom, of course, calls Greg. Uh, he wants to know when Greg will be back in the office. Greg explains he's driving his granddad down from Canada. Oh, Greg, fuck your grandpa. Uh, you're on speakerphone. Well, I, well, shouldn't, I be. shouldn't be, Greg. I shouldn't be. <laughs> uh, and Ewan takes note of that, by the way. He, he His head kind of jerks when he hears, fuck your granddad. Mm -hmm. Greg then explains to Tom... Um, uh, 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 sorry, Greg then explains Tom to Ewan, and I thought this was a really poignant moment. An interesting thing about the character of Greg is every once in a while, he hits you with a line and you go, or an action, and you're like, damn, Greg actually gets it. 
Yeah. Last episode, it was when he ratted out Tom's potential press conference to Jerry. Convincingly lied about it. In this episode, it's this line where he's explaining Tom, and he says, "I guess he's lonely and afraid." That, and I, I really agree with you right here. That is a remarkably astute line. That is a, a excellent summation of Tom. That I I don't think I don't think I could have offered that until I heard Greg say it. No, it, it's really really good. It's it just come this from the mouths of babes thing. Where you never you never expect Greg to have an astute moment. You never expect Greg to, to do an action that is legitimately canny. But he really is capable of it. It's just, you know, buried beneath a mesh of Greg. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very good line there. Cut to Raystar, and Roman is getting worked out by his very aggressive personal trainer. And Kendall barges in, asking about the coffee incident. Kendall and Roman start kibitzing about how Logan isn't well. Um, <laughs> another good line here from Roman. Here's a news story for you. Elderly local man doesn't know he's getting buttfucked by Google. <laughs> Roman starts ranting about how Logan talks to him. Uh, and drops the line, fuck Indonesia. It sounds like a medical condition. <laughs> I'm not sure that's fair. <laughs> I don't know I had to bully Indonesia in that moment. Well, it, it, there's a pride element at play here. He, his ignorance was displayed. Now Indonesia's at, at, at fault. I'm like a billion. Roman, you're a moron. <laughs> Love that back and forth. Kendall calls Logan a hoarder. And Roman asks if he's going to do anything about it. Uh, and Roman says, and the only way he's going to respect you is if you try to destroy him. Because in your position, that's exactly what he would do. Very, very true. 100% true. Oh, very accurate. Um, what, question for you as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see over the course of this episode and before that uh, Kendall and Roman, at least, or at least representing to each other, they very much disagree with Logan's decision making. Yep. That they think this decision-making is an exemplar of the fact that he's diminished, that he's on the decline, that he's not thinking clearly. Yep. Uh, do you agree with them? Because I actually don't. No, I don't either. It, um, I think that this this play with local TV actually makes a lot of sense, as we discussed. I just think that Kendall and Roman haven't caught up to him. Yeah, it, that's my mind, is that they're just respond. They're treating this as if he's shooting off from the hip, and they're responding from the hip rather than taking a second to ponder what the potential is here. Because uh, all we really get from them about what their alternative ideas are is that Lo- uh, Kendall apparently thinks Volter's a great idea, and we've discussed yeah. that. And apparently uh, Roman really doesn't like this turkey movie that I'm guessing their company is running with. Yeah, I mean, come on, Kendall. Like, your your idea is to buy a bunch of websites. It's like 15 questions to tell you what Friends character you are. Like, give me a fucking break. Like, Facebook that, for cats. It's fucking lame. Uh, Facebook for cats. <laughs> Um, yeah, and so uh, Logan, uh, sorry, um, Roman brings up the idea of Kendall doing something about this, and Kendall says he can't. And Roman says, "No, of course not. Have fun in Shanghai." <laughs> yeah, and th- that's where you get the Shanghai from. And yeah, th- th- he's basically telling him at this point that you have to make a stand right now, or your dad's dictating what's going to happen to you, and he's already told you what that's going to be. <laughs> I would like to point out that. Um, you and I went to Con of Thrones. That's the you know the biggest con for Game of Thrones fans uh, in the in the world. Mm-hmm. And our friend BJ, who you do a podcast with, uh, and mm-hmm. I do a podcast with, Mangum Reads and Mangum Laughs, respectively, um, once told us he could not go to Con of Thrones because it would cost just as much money for him to go to Shanghai. He did say that. He presented Shanghai as like one of the greatest places to ever go, and I love that the show presents Shanghai as a shithole that fucking Kendall wants no part of. You know. I honestly don't know much about Shanghai, but my gut reaction is very much aiming towards where this show's opinion. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to fucking go there. 
especially, it's, it's, especially not now. I like basketball. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Of all the reasons you could have said, that that one's topical. Wasn't wouldn't have been on my list. <laughs> but yeah, that stuck out to me when they're they, they, Shanghai is like the proxy for a place that they don't want to go. Um, back to the car trip that's so bad. I really can't think of an app comparison. I tried to come up with a joke there, Spencer, but I don't I don't know of a comparison for how bad this fucking um, car trip is. And Greg is rambling about his work, and Ewan, douche that he is. Can we call Ewan out for being a douche real quick? Yes, feel free. Go on ahead. Fucking dude. Like, uh, if he wasn't like an old curmudgeon man, we would think he's like a fucking, like, emo, like, shop shops at Hot Topic kind of fucking undergrad douchebag because he starts quoting Bertrand Russell of all people. He says, one of the symptoms of an approaching nervous breakdown is believing that one's work is ever so important. That's Bertrand Russell. The fact he says that's Bertrand Russell at the end. Like, mm-hmm. if the can't the quote stand on its own without you fucking giving the goddamn cliff notes and bibliography for it? Like, he no, sucks. And this is the moment where it becomes truly douchey, is that he wants people to know that it's smart. Yep. He wants people yep. to know that he's well-read. That this is a, a powerful statement because, I, it, because of where it's coming from and because I know it. Yeah, anybody and, who has footnotes in their goddamn dialogue in a normal conversation is a douchebag. It's it's interesting too because we've labeled two people on this show douches and they're completely different kinds of douches. Yeah, Kendall obviously ketchup on a burrito, <laughs> and Ewan quoting Bertrand Russell in casual, conversa- in casual conversation and footnoting it multiple fucking times. So yeah. Greg thinks this is a good which come on Greg, <laughs> he thinks this is a good time to pitch to Ewan a business idea. This is the idea that Ewan might not be interested in continuing to serve on the board of Race Star Woyko. This, by the way, is one of the first hints we have about where Ewan gets his money. And presumably Greg is pitching that he gets the seat. Mm-hmm. And Ewan speaks up, life is nothing but a competition to be the criminal instead of the victim. That's also Bertrand Russell. Greg here, I think, has finally had enough. Uh, he says, well, I don't have a Bertrand Russell quote because I just haven't even heard of him until now. But I do have this one. Just putting it out there. <laughs> That's his big quote, Spencer. Just putting it out there. Yeah. I, I was actually waiting. When I first watched the scene, I was waiting for the quote. It was like, and then it cuts to the next scene. It was like, oh, that was your quote. Gotcha. That was okay. the quote. Just putting it out there is the quote. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's one, it's one of these things about Ewan of where he's obviously intelligent. He's obviously well-read. Um, and... He seems like he'd be able to provide good advice, but it's just advice that is just utterly nonsensical to somebody in Greg's position right now in his life. I mean, his advice is essentially don't participate. That the life you're going to lead is just going to be one is just be one of pain and difficulty and inevitable criminality. Uh, but Greg's a Greg's not in the stage of life where he can just retire and move to his estate in Canada. So what else are you proposing is a reasonable alternative for him now? He has to work. This is a job. What else is he going to do? Yeah, and I think that's the difference between Logan and Ewan, is that Ewan kind of lives in a different sort of existence where he thinks that you can just quit. You can just go away. Yeah, I, I, where Logan very clearly does not have that belief. He's like, no, we have responsibilities. We have to make money. We have to push forward. Yeah, it's a, it's utterly oil and water philosophy between these two. You can see why they don't go to many parties together. Yeah. Uh, we cut to Logan. He's returned home, and Marsha tells him, Ewan is coming to Thanksgiving. Logan asks why, and Marcia says he asked. Uh, what? Uh, Logan calls bullshit on that. Uh, I think he says you, you're, you're a very good liar or something like that. 
Yeah, you're, he says, you're a pretty good liar. She immediately then drops the facade and just says, it's not good to have riffs in family. It's not a riff. He lives in Canada. And he's a prick. That <laughs> <laughs> was kind of Logan just to summarize the situation excellently. It's not a riff. He lives in Canada. And he's a prick. Marsha points out they haven't talked in a while. And Logan says, well, we sent him a birth- birthday card, don't don't we? And then he says, not that we get any thanks. Um, Spencer, I know you have a crush on Marsha. Um, this is not one of her better plans. Try to yeah. justify it. There's a. This episode strongly implies that a lot of this is Marsha trying to bring everybody together. And if this was her end plan to, you know, heal rifts and make a family, this one blows up in her face in a way that her business dealings haven't. Very quickly. Um, Kendall's in his apartment and he's talking to Frank. Kendall's trying to make coffee, but he's struggling and apologizes because he, quote, gave everyone, quote, everyone Thanksgiving off this fucking family. Uh, Kendall pit gives in. Uh, or goes in with his pitch to Frank, which appears to be a call to, to call a vote of no confidence in Logan. And Frank is more receptive here than I would have thought. Uh, mm-hmm. did, did you expect Frank's reaction here? No, I really didn't. I, I would have thought that Frank would in some way have spoken to Logan's defense and some of these ideas, but he seems to be uncomfortable with Logan's state too. Now, now Frank was in the room with the coffee with incident. Rome. Yeah, yeah. Unlike anybody else was. And I think that's in some way driving this rather than necessarily the business decision. But... At the same time, he clearly seemed to have qualms about it, too, in the sense that he wanted Kendall and Roman in the room to hear it, whereas Logan didn't. Yeah. Yeah, Kendall's main pitch here, to your point, is that Logan isn't well, uh, and he may tank the company. Uh, I think he says something along the lines of, what if he wakes up tomorrow and calls Bezos and sells us for a dollar? Which I think is a little bit extreme. Uh, (laughs) We've seen Logan. I mean, he's had... He pissed in an office and he struggled with coffee. That's not that's not quite selling the company for a dollar. No. Uh, in, fa- in fact, from uh, Logan's perspective, Kendall, that's what you were doing. Uh, yeah, good point. Um, and also, like, this whole thing, and it makes me very uncomfortable how he's like, well, the real Logan would want me to do this. Like, Bullshit. Yeah, he's just doing everything he can to justify it to himself. But what's interesting to me is that Frank plays along and kind of lets him think that. Says, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, you're doing this for Logan. And this is my my question that I'm wondering. Uh, Do we think this is Frank legitimately responding to the idea that Logan is diminished and a possible threat? Or is this Frank doing some wheeling and dealing on his own part? Have you watched episode six? Uh, No. Okay, we'll talk about it then. (laughs) Okay. Uh, All right, I'll make a note. I'm writing this down. Lee has agreed to talk about this then. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's hard for me because, like, I, the, the question I, I get, just I get gets answered. Um, and I can I, speculate I, here, but it, it's a much, it'll be a much more interesting conversation once you see episode six. So we cut to Thomas Ship in a car. Thomas talking to his mom. This is a really, really fucked up scene. Um, Tom is apologizing for missing Thanksgiving, and he says, maybe Christmas. Ship shakes her head no. Her head no. New Year's? Ship again shakes her head no. Come on. Like, it. Is the expectation here from her that he will never have a holiday with his fucking family? Uh, because she doesn't want to. Oh, she is the fucking wife. I mean, it's, God, I kind of struggle with like other fictional characters who would be a worse girlfriend. I mean, obviously you, know, you can go to like murderers and shit, but like, like <laughs> yeah, normal a, people, like she's pretty fucking awful. What we're, we're seeing really well displayed here, an unequal relationship. And we're just seeing more and more evidence that this show goes on. And this one yeah. is, I mean, even as they continue in this conversation, let's go through it again, but she just outright continues to disrespect his family, too. Yep. 
Yeah, and she starts that um, because Tom gets some more information from his mother. We don't know what yet. And he ends the call. Tom clearly has something on his mind. Shib pushes the issue. And he says his lawyer and Shib condescendingly clarifies his mother. So this is when we find out that Tom's mom is a, quote, well-respected attorney in the Twin Cities. Small point here. But of course Tom calls it the Twin Cities. Because he's from there. He's such a fucking patsy. God, he sucks sometimes. Um, Tom goes on to say that his lawyer slash mom thinks the prenub is unconscionable. Spencer, is that a legal term? That is a legal term. That is a legal term that, that raises fundamental questions about enforceability. That's always a challenge you can make to a contract if, if, if there isn't... A, I mean, obviously, there's a certain measure, measure of unequal bargaining power here in that she's the one with all the money. But if the terms themselves are so incredibly one-sided that it is not forming an equal anything resembling an equal agreement, a court could determine, or at least a party could argue, that it is void, void ad initio. It, has, okay. it is well, not then, a valid contract ever. Well, then wouldn't it be in Tom's self-interest to just sign it? Uh, one could argue, uh, but then you have to debate an argument in the courts, which he probably wouldn't have the money to independently fight. Uh, so. That's a good point. Yeah, he would get buried. Um, Tom says he doesn't care, but the look on his face tells us that was a lie. Um, Ship says it's fine. They can look it over. I guess, you know, they're going to they're gonna have a discussion about it. I really like, uh, we, we see increasingly over the course of these episodes that Tom has, Tom is enjoying being rich, but he's not dismissive of his background. It has a certain element of pride there. Sure. When, he's, when he says, she's a highly respected attorney in Twin Cities ship, he really means that line. And he's proud of it too, which of makes course. her follow-up line of, sure, just all the more cutting. It's like, I'm proud of my family and where I'm from, and you're just utterly dismissing it. Why? Well, because they have billions of dollars, but it's like, I mean, you know, is what we learn in this episode indirectly is that his mom is a good lawyer because mm-hmm. she points out some pretty fucking horrid shit that's in this thing that Tom wanted to just sign, you know, without looking at. Have we gotten much of an indication of what wealth Tom comes from? I, I, I Not know. Much. I, 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 mean, I don't think in any way he was poor in any sense of the word. I think that he was, you know, comfortable in the way that a lot of people are. Obviously not the same degree of wealth that he's now being exposed to. I would guess that he came from a family that was probably probably right in the Spencer wheelhouse. He's probably right in the level of middle class that you grew up in. That's my concern. Right. Yeah. And I think that reflects in terms of how he goes about this and also how much he's just utterly enamored with the wealth he's now part of. Sure. Yeah. And that's a big part of it. Um, yeah. So we cut back to Kendall and they are, this is interesting how quickly this happened. They're so far down the, the road on this photo, no confidence that Frank has pen and paper out and they're counting votes. Kendall still can't find the coffee. <laughs> they dismiss Ewan because he's never there. Uh, file that away. Kendall says, um, if he does it, he'd be doing it for Yogan. Uh, Logan. Yuck. Like yet again, he keeps Kendall. pushing this issue. Like I'm just doing it for him. It's best for him. Which no. Frank, which Frank really seems content to feed that right. like, okay, that's what's motivating you. Okay. I'll give you that. I'll let you run on that, that you apparently need that to make this happen. Fine. We'll accept that as a necessary fiction. Yeah. And that's why, like, I'm really interested to have the conversation with you next episode because we also get, you know, Jerry jumps into this as well. Um, and it's interesting to me to see kind of what their game plan is here. Yeah. Right. Because neither one of them think they're going to run the company. So they have to try to figure out, okay, well, what's my long term play? I mean, it seems like they're. I'm watching the next episode, so I can't only only speculate where it's going to go with this. But it seems like they're consciously aware of the fact that there are two horses in this race. 
and one of them's going to be running the company. Which one of those is going to win, and which one of those can I get the most out of, or which one of those can I work the best to protect my position or my future? Yep. And it seems like they're consciously choosing Kindle whether they necessarily agree with him or not. Or, well, I think that's the reason they're doing it, but I do think there's a certain element of motivation that this is Logan in a state they've not seen him in before, and they are uncomfortable with it, and it gets worse as the episode goes on. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and then Kendall screams for Carla to show him where the coffee beans are. <laughs> Frank astutely says, I thought you gave them a day off, and Kendall says, skeleton staff. God damn this family. <laughs> Fuck this family. Um, and um, as Logan, st- and then we cut to Logan's staff. They did not get the day off, and they are getting ready for Thanksgiving dinner under the watchful eye of Marsha. Spencer, did you notice they place the forks thusly? They do place the forks thusly, because this is... What, what was the phrase that Connor used? What restaurant was he describing again? God, I don't remember. It was some, some like Texas steakhouse kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, they, they... Connor, shout out to Connor. He was right. They placed the forks thusly. And Tom and well, Marsha Because Marsha's running this. Because Marsha's running this. Uh, Tom and Shiv arrive, sorry. And they are talking about the prenup. And it's... Seems like Tom still doesn't really want to get into it. Although you can tell that the fact his mom questioned it pisses off Shib, right? Like, it, she seems to be pressing the issue because she's frustrated that his mom, you know, called it out. It's one of those things of where she expected him to read it and just sign on the dotted line. And now that he's legitimately had a professional read it and actually do a good job in assessing it, she's annoyed. Because th- this was not this was not the equal the, the, she didn't actually want this to be an equal equality moment she didn't actually want to have a conversation no. from two equals she wanted to have the appearance you know, of it facade yep. of it exactly yeah Ewan comes in and Marcia says Logan was asking for him while he was in the hospital he wasn't and mm-hmm. Ewan says yeah well it must have been the drugs uh, Ewan is at least nice to Marsha he smiles at her he gives her token laughs he's he's okay right now Marsha go ahead. Sorry, Ewan seems to really respond well, or be able to better respond as well as he can, to better associate with those that aren't immediately part of the family. Yeah. Um, and Marsha definitely falls in that category. It seems like Marsha, maybe more than the rest of them, has made a conscious effort to get to know or even talk with Ewan over the years. Yeah, I mean, obviously she has a line to him because she got him to come to Thanksgiving. Um, mm-hmm. And Marsha describes Ewan and Logan as two stags who cannot stop fighting. Shut up, King Bobby B. Mm-hmm. And Ewan feigns a laugh. Uh, Marcia thanks Greg for driving him down. Greg says it was great getting quality time with his gramps. <laughs> oh, a couple really tough ones here. Rumble and Tum and gramps. Yeah. Yeah. We, you would hate that, obviously. Th- this is just the nature of Greg here. We get moments of remarkable astuteness, remarkable insight, and rumble and tum. Yeah. This Marcia, is the balance of Greg. Marcia explains that Logan is still pretty down, but maybe the two of them can cheer him up. And Ewan says, that's not up to me. So it's not, it doesn't bode well. And I don't know if it's ever fully explained in this episode what exactly drove their relationship apart. Maybe just they were incredibly different people, but we get a foreboding sign here already. Yeah. And on the balcony of uh, Logan's apartment, if you can call it that, God knows what it is, probably like like a couple stories. Uh, Greg, Roman, and Grace are on the balcony smoking weed. And apparently mm-hmm. Greg is a bit nervous about how strong Roman's weed is. Quote, I don't smoke swag. <laughs> but seriously, did anybody expect Roman to smoke anything but high-powered weed? Weed? Like, of course he does. He's a fucking billionaire. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't have much experience with uh, that particular drug or product. But if I was going to start and you know, dip my toe in the water, I would never approach 
anything that Roman has. No. Rome, <laughs> Roman would not be my, you know, initial partner in that exploration. No, it would be Tom. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the man has five bathrooms, for God's sake. Um, Roman gets a notification that a movie, you referenced this earlier, the biggest turkey in the world is doing well at the box office. Uh, Greg unknowingly says, well, that's good. And Roman storms off. Now, what Grace uh, explains to Greg is that apparently Roman tried to stop the film when he was working at the studio with Frank. And Greg says, at least it made at least it made everybody a lot of money. And Grace, great line here. That's not the point. <laughs> they don't care about the money. It's, it's, it's his ego at this point. Right. Money they got. It's pride they're after now. <laughs> yeah. Tom comes out to talk to Greg alone. And Tom comments that Ewan is quite a character. A great line here. Greg explains that he finally found an economics podcast that his grandpa liked to shout at. <laughs> I can only imagine so how funny. overjoyed uh, Greg was when he finally found something to stop the silence. Yeah, it's a funny idea that he's just playing this economics podcast and you and just screaming at it about like universal health care or fucking your marginal tax rates. Um, Tom tells him that he needs to go to the office and like Greg clearly does not want to probably for many reasons one he doesn't want to be involved in this two he's really high and three it's Thanksgiving and he's hungry mm-hmm. but Tom tries to reasons. get serious mm-hmm. um, and he says he wants to trust Greg he wants Greg to trust him he explains that go in the office check out some boxes and do some shredding <sighs> okay Lee Let's suggest you're in Greg's position as low-level employee number four. Uh, when one of your superiors says, I need you to go into the office on a holiday to shred some documents and I don't want you to ask any questions, how do you respond to that? This goes away, the other saves the day. This one goes <laughs> away, the other saves the day. I would do exactly what Greg did here. Greg is brilliant. This was yeah. a real... I, w- I was legitimately caught off guard that Greg is this... Canny, this is this is a really clever idea to A, save his own ass, and B, save this material for any future use. Yeah. Tom then says it's not a big deal and, quote, a chimp could do it. A little chimpanzee. Well, Spencer, if you, um, if our audience listens to Whiskey on the Weekends, you'll know that I am an enthusiast about great apes, specifically chimpanzees. I'd like to explain what a chimpanzee really could do in this situation, if you will um, uh, humor me. I will allow you two minutes. Thank you. So a chimp could easily um, flag a taxi. It could not communicate where the office is. You could potentially give it a piece of paper to hand uh, to the driver, but that's going to be problematic because you're going to need another piece of paper for when he finally gets there because the chimp is going to need to hand a piece of paper to the individual to check out the boxes. So first problem here with a chimpanzee, they're not going to be able to actually get in a taxi and direct somebody. But let's say you call an Uber for it, right? So it doesn't have to communicate exactly where it goes. So it gets to Waystar Warco. It can badge in easily. It can use an elevator. No problem. It could go up to the individual and it could hand um, the document, uh, you know, the, 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 the piece of paper that indicates what documents it needs to check out. This is where it starts to be a problem because now you're going to rely on the chimpanzee to actually take the boxes, get into the room and start shredding. That's that's really high level stuff. That's like Kanzi like, you know, uh, level stuff here. Uh, Kanzi is a bonobo. Google. Um, here's what he could not do. He could not do the one goes away. The other saves the day. So here's what you got with a chimpanzee. You could you could spend probably a better part of a couple years teaching it to go in and actually shred these documents. You probably could get there, um, but it would not do so um, with the astuteness of one Greg. So there you go. That's what a chimpanzee could do and not do in that situation. Thank you, Tom. 
bravo, you got that under two minutes. Yep. Uh, Connor gets there, uh, and Walla is uh, Wyla is with him. Marsha, great line here. I heard you were coming, but I didn't believe it. It's <laughs> a wonderful line. Now we, you have question on this podcast. What is the nature of the relationship of Wyla and Connor? You, we find out this episode, and oh boy, it's a doozy. Wyla has canned cranberry sauce, and Marsha comments, "Oh, more." So apparently, everybody's bringing this. Now, this is a real subtle thing with from the writers here, but it is fucking hilarious. Old people do love that fucking canned cranberry sauce. Rich and poor alike. Doesn't matter. It, it goes across all all uh, economic classes. Rich people or old people like the canned cranberry sauce. I, I got to ask, when you go to Thanksgiving or when you host Thanksgiving, is the canned cranberry sauce on your table? If my dad's there. Because he likes it. Now, I, I like cranberry sauce, but I make it. I mean, I just get the, the cranberries and I actually reduce it with sugar and some jam. And I actually make a cranberry sauce. But my, if my dad's there and my, my grandma, she's now dead, RIP. But when she was here, she fucking loved it. Always had to have that canned cranberry sauce. That it, It's so gross because it has the little slivers. Yep. It's got the ridges. The, it's been in the can. Oh, God, it's gross. But she yeah. did love it. I've had one older family member argue before that, well, you have to have the ridges. Where else do you know to cut? It's like, oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, it was so interesting because, like, my grandma was probably the best cook I've ever been around. But for some reason, the making the cranberry sauce never got on her radar. I mean, she made everything else from scratch. Biscuits, cornbread, the gravy, everything from scratch. Cranberry sauce, though, had to come out of the can. It's one of those things that, that, that was on my table for just years. But it was never something anybody ate. It was like it. It was like the. It was like the floral arrangement on the table. You didn't know it was Thanksgiving until you saw that little ridged, gelatinous mass sitting on its own little tray. Uh, I gotta tell you, I don't hate it though. It, it's not bad. It's just like there are many better things I'd even like to put on bread. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, and once you, you know, once you make your own cranberry sauce, like you really kind of can't go back. Yeah. Kendall, Tom, and Shib are talking, and Kendall really thinks it's not cool. He brought Wyla. <laughs> Shib then asks if she charges more for coming to this event. So ooh, another hint as to the relationship between Connor and Wyla. Do we want to go ahead and talk about it now? Let's talk about it now because it is just fascinating. So Wyla is a prostitute mm-hmm. and Connor has procured her services in some sort of master service agreement um, over a very long period of time, which apparently includes holidays with his family. Yeah, and apparently Roman was the one that originally introduced the two of them. Yeah, he does bring that up later. <laughs> uh, uh, Tom notices... Uh, any more on that before we move on? No, I'm kind of just speechless about it. Because when I first saw the relationship, I had many theories. None of them were this. So, Spencer, you're a guy who would absolutely procure the services of a prostitute. Would you ever actually take a prostitute to your family dinner? Okay, can we uh, discuss the uh, lead-in that you had to this question? <laughs> can we just start there? You, you, you've, you've given me a profound assumption to start this question off with. Okay, uh, well, how about this? Put yourself in the mindset of someone who would. Okay, thank you for that, because even answering this question would have had implications. Um, putting myself in that mindset? God, Christ, no. Just, no. Why on earth would you ever, particularly if apparently, has he just told all of them? Is he yeah, they all revealed? Know. Yeah, they all know. Obviously, Marsha knew because she's like astonished that the, the girl would show up. So a couple things here. One is Connor is just a loser and it's just a really pathetic move to bring a prostitute to a family dinner. And mm-hmm. two, how uncomfortable must... I mean, we get some instances of this, but it's not fully like shown how uncomfortable Wyla would have to be here. 
uh, if I was in Wyla's situation, I would not have agreed to go to this kind of thing. It's just, it's not only awkward for you, it's awkward for the entire family. You are interfering with Thanksgiving. Well, dude, to Ship's point, I bet he did pay her. Ah, yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, for her, it's like, okay, well, I guess the worst thing, worst ways to make money, right? Than to go to just a turkey dinner. I'm sure she's remarkably well paid. Um, I still, even if I was being paid, wouldn't probably do it because everyone's aware of that. Do we assume that Connor told everyone or that Roman told everyone? Roman. Both of the Roman. <laughs> yeah, there's, that's there's my assumption. No way that this girl could be Connor's escort and Roman know it and not tell every fucking body because he immediately tells Greg later on. Everyone knows. Marsha obviously knows, but Marsha apparently knows everything. Logan knows, which is fascinating. Yeah, he it's is. Just, it is just... Connor is the weirdest damn character on this show, and that's saying something. He is fucking odd. Um, you know what? It, it, it's interesting to me about Connor is that he's clearly the black sheep of the family. Mm-hmm. But it's a weird black sheep because he's not... He, he doesn't seem to have bad motivations. He seems to no. be an okay guy, but also he's the oldest. Usually the black sheep is like the youngest, right? Or like a middle child or something. But he actually is the firstborn son of Logan. Mm-hmm. So it's a weird choice, you know, to, to create a, a black sheep with those attributes. And in some ways, he almost like embodies the mindset of like, you know, medieval aristocrats of where he's got enough money and he's got enough stability and has so few concerns that he's allowed to be weird. Because who can question him about it, really? He's allowed to be as eccentric as he desires, to have the weirdest possible concerns and focuses, because he's can able to live in his own little bubble of comfortable isolation. Yeah, and we get some weird shit from him in later episodes. I can't wait to talk to you about Kendall, Tom, and Shib. Um, uh, sorry, sorry. Um, we we're, we're it's still Kendall, Tom, and Shib talking, and Tom is complaining about how more people brought. This cranberry sauce. Apparently Tom brought the cranberry sauce too. Great line here from Kendall. Oh yeah, forget it. You can't get him anything. Last Christmas, I thought I had an idea. New General MacArthur bio. Um, He got like seven copies. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think we saw before at his birthday that just don't try to bring Logan anything. Just come yourself or do work. Those are the things he respects. Otherwise, no. Yeah. During this, Tom is trying to massage Shib's shoulders, and she's not having it. Very uncomfortable. Mm. And Greg would like some of those canopies. <laughs> my, my man is a—he's uh, hungry. He got the munchies. Rumble, also, Tom. Did you notice Jerry's gift to the family? No, actually, I didn't. Um. So everybody comes in with this stupid cranberry fucking thing, mm. and I think the canopies are what Jerry brought. And Marsha liked it so much, she actually responded in French to Jerry. And, shout out to Jerry, Jerry speaks French. You know, I didn't actually put those two together. It was kind of a background thing. But yeah, that, that's credit to Jerry. That she's, this is, again, Jerry is yep. the person that works the room. Absolutely. She's going to win every election because she, she's got Marsha snowed. <laughs> it, I mean, it's an interesting thing of where you can call it snowed, but she's legitimately working hard for all of these people. She has earned the certain degree of respect that she has in all of their eyes. It just has a certain undercurrent of manipulation attached to it, too. Yeah, I guess, yeah, because Snowed has the connotation of, like, a used car salesman, and she she is not yeah. that at all. I mean, she's actually no. building relationships. It's not just, like, a flash in the pan. And, and at least a few of these relationships she seems to care about to a certain degree, or at least respect the other the person that's part of it. Kendall, Absolutely. probably not, but the rest, sure. No, no, Kendall, no. 
Uh, Frank comes over to Kendall and questions why the fuck Ewan is there. That's exactly what I would be asking. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Kendall says it's Marcia's. Uh, then Frank assesses that uh, she's pushing to change the trust. She's invited both Frank and Jerry to Thanksgiving, and as Kendall put it, lures Uncle Sasquatch out of hiding. Gotta tip your chapeau to that. And this, this is an interesting deduction on Frank's part. I'm not sure whether it's true or accurate, but it does frame a lot of her decision-making this episode from purely business connotations, and that is interesting. Well, first question, do you know what a chapeau is? Uh, no, actually. I didn't look that by the term. Yeah, it's a hat in French. Um, <laughs> We're going very French this episode. Yeah, I know. It's just like a funny line. I mean, when you know it's 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 a hat, it just, to me, makes it funnier because, like, Kendall yeah. clearly knows French. Um, now, look, to your point, uh, I think Marsha is smart. She's your crush. You love her. Your favorite character of the, uh, of the show. I always pick one every show. You know this. <laughs> yes, Sansa. Um, but I do Shut not up. think that she is that many steps ahead. I think no. they are giving her way more credit here the, than they should. It shows the certain degree of respect or even fear they hold her in that they think this is a reasonable enough interpretation of her actions. But no, I'm more seeing this that she legitimately does want a family and it just isn't possible with this family. Yeah, completely agree. I think she, I don't think she's has any political motivations here. Um, cut to Kendall. He comes up to Uncle Ewan who wants to know where Logan is. Quote, I drove 500 miles and he can't come downstairs. Kendall sees this as an opening to talk about how sick Logan is. Um, really kind of ham-handed here. Um, he really is pushing pushing the issue too much, and I think that the way that the actor um, who plays you and plays this indicated to me that he took note of how ham-handed it was about yeah. how Kendall was really trying to force this issue. Right, and I think that becomes particularly apparent later in the episode of where how he responds when Kendall just just even drops the effort to be ham-handed anymore. Um, that he's almost amused at just how child about how how um, how poor this effort is to manipulate him. It's just like he, to the point that he's even yeah. just filling in the blanks so he can get it done faster. It's like, he's acting kind of strange. Like inviting me to Thanksgiving. Exactly. It's like, uh, huh. Okay. Yeah. And like, I don't know if you've ever done this, but have you ever questioned the mental acuity of somebody for being old to another old person? Yeah. Don't do that. They don't it, like that shit at all. It, and it's an interesting thing. Cause Frank kind of already warned him about this earlier. Like when they're having that conversation when in when um, Kendall's you know let all the staff go and he's trying to learn how to make coffee for himself, he <laughs> continually hits Logan on this is you know this is old time this is out of date thumb, and Frank at one point says I'm an old man, and yep. Kendall doesn't get it. Nope, and he keeps emphasizing this point over and over again. As you said, this is not the right tack to take. What is primarily from what we've seen so far, an older board. Yeah, yeah, his, it's it's Logan's older brother. And so you're, if you're saying that Logan is so old, he can't think for himself to his older brother, it's yeah. a pretty fucking weak strategy, I think. Yeah, very much so. And we credit to Kendall that he's actively trying to wheel and deal, but we just see how we see how very much of a juvenile he is about this process through a lot of this episode. And I've, I've experienced this phenomenon um, going back to talking about old people to old people. Um, with the Democratic primary right now. Because I think Biden and Bernie are too old. But every time I've brought that up to old people, they've basically told me to shut the fuck up. It's interesting. I've, I've tried to poke to the topic with my parents. And it was interesting when I first brought it up. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable with their age. And I was really surprised by how they responded. 
They responded that, oh yeah, they're way too old. I know how old I am. I know how much I've lost a step. Clearly, they're even older than me. They can't do this. It's like, huh, that is a degree of introspection I wasn't necessarily expecting to have in this conversation. Good on you. Yeah, my dad did that too. But I, but pretty much every other person yeah. who's older, other than my dad that I brought it up, has said, well, you know, I'm old too. Like basically what Frank yeah. did, right? And I very much agree. And it's something you have to very carefully tap dance around. That That's the reason you have your opinion. Be careful how you present it. Focus on the details, not the age is the reason. Completely agree. Cut back to Shib, and Grace is saying she's sorry about her woman, which apparently was a candidate for U.S. Senate. Grace seems to think she didn't win, but Shib reminds her that she did. She, she, <laughs> Shib's kind of like, I, I know, I was up for 42 hours. Like I'm, I'm very aware. 72, um, actually. Even 72. Oh, yeah. Uh, Grace then... <laughs> God, this is the type of shit in the 2016 election that made me fucking crazy. She says, you did a great job because she was really quite unlikable. Uh, Roman and Grace say they never liked her. At one point, they say she was a bitch. Um, Shib is continuing to ask why. Um, and Roman says, uh, and she wants to take all my lovely money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was going to ask you for this scene. I've even got it written down my notes. Is that... is. <laughs> Lee, did you take this okay? Is it, 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 it? Did you take it okay that they're basically cribbing annoying notes about Hillary Clinton here? No, I did not take it well. Um, I I reacted like uh, Uncle Ewan reacts to economics podcast. Uh, I started yelling at the screen about how likability doesn't make you fit to govern. But anyway. How much did you hear these exact lines in the 2016 election that she's quite unlikable, kind, kind of, of phony, kind of scary, kind of a bitch? It's like, oh, these are just... Oh, these are not ro- proper assessments of a candidate. I lost years of my life here in that shit and screaming at my friends. Um, <laughs> but it, one thing that Grace does here that I think is interesting is she actually then equates being a bitch to uh, Shib. She says, you must get that a lot, which I, that has to be the weep talking because that is that is a bridge far. Uh, Shib says, yeah, you know, not usually from family on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Now, I do. I think that I don't really like calling any woman a bitch, but I think that if you were to appropriate that term, I would think that Shib kind of falls in there. I mean, as we talked about, she's a pretty horrible person. Yeah, she just she doesn't particularly like being told that, though. No, no, not from Grace, who is not, not from money. Yeah, we don't know much about Grace's background, other than that she seems like she's been much more integrated into this family. Like, she's integrated in this family far more than Wyla is, but not to the same level that maybe Tom is. Um, yeah, at least not, my, my, yeah, not yeah. in her mind. Yeah, that's what she said on the totem pole. But she, she seems comfortable to... Well, I think... I was going to say she seems comfortable saying this shit directly to her face, but as you said, that's the weed talking. Yeah, yeah. And then Marcia's son arrives, which I thought was interesting. Um, Very interesting. Greg asks who Wyla is, and Roman says, just absolutely bluntly, no hesitation, that it's Connor's whore. Greg, the woman talking about theater? Does he know? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. He pays her to suck his cock. I actually introduced him a few years ago. She was on that hot party girl who wouldn't look twice at you hooker borderline <laughs> good line greg is flustered at how pretty she is obviously greg i think greg has a thing for wyla yeah and they actually kind of have an interesting kind of rapport over the course of this yeah tom goes off to get the deets as he says uh and when wyla comes over roman says greg is very excited to hear her and he takes off roman is the best because roman deduced very quickly that greg was flustered at how pretty wyla is and then just left him there just wanted things to be awkward. Is that the best or the worst? You said best. I think you mean for the audience rather than Greg. Oh, yeah, for me. Just just for my own entertainment, it's the best. 
Um, Greg says, well, we we were, we were talking about theater because you didn't want to say, well, we were talking about how you were Connor's whore. Mm -hmm. Um, she says, Oh, do you like theater? He says, no, (laughs) not really. (laughs) Greg can't really can't lie. It's not, well, I was going to say this, but Greg can't lie to people other than Tom. (laughs) Yeah. He's, he's, he's an awful liar. Just uh, an everyday conversation. He has to prepare for his lie. Yeah. Uh, Greg then small talk master low key mm-hmm. a very interesting question here would you rather be trapped he asked this a while would you rather be trapped in a pool with a shark or a cage with a tiger now when he first asked this I thought oh god this is Greg being weird Wyla perked up yeah and got interested she's like yeah okay that's an interesting thing to talk about and you know with the more you think about it from Wyla's perspective it's like everybody is trying to avoid talking to her mm-hmm. at least this guy asked her something that she can think about and kind of kibitz and you know just you know, kind of spitball with this guy. Yeah, and this is a moment to kind of let her hair down. I mean, imagine this is really awkward for her to be at a family event like this where she's a business, she's effectively a business person on her job right now. She has to constantly keep up layers and just make this as little, as, as um, unawkward as possible around these people and it was a very awkward situation. This is a person that just comes to her and asks her just a fun, random question that she can just spitball about and drop her hair for a second. And, you know, this is... I, this is either just Greg being Greg or Greg having a really good read, but it, she responds well and they actually kind of a fun moment. Yeah. Well, what's your answer? Uh, I think I'm actually starting to believe that Greg is more capable than I, that I originally believed. I don't think this is necessarily an exemplar of it. I think this is Greg just being Greg, but it works here. Oh, you misunderstood my question. I'm, oh. I'm asking you trapped in a pool with a shark oh, okay. or cage with a tiger. Ah, uh, you know, shark, shark, shark seems like there's more options there. Greg is 100% right here. It's obviously a shark because, as Greg points out, you can punch the shark on the nose. Yeah. And also, you know, there's at least the vague idea that you can avoid the uh, shark, at least in the pool, or maybe even climb out of the pool. If you're just in a, in a cage, you're dead. If that tiger wants you, you're dead. I, yep, yeah, absolutely. Fl- Easy question, really. Uh, question for you, though. Um, do you think there's a little chemistry here between these two? There's at least a banter. There is a connection between these two that we don't that doesn't exist between the other people. It, it's interesting to see two people legit, legitimately being friendly because that's just so rare on this show. That even when two characters appear to be being friendly, it's through the Roy mindset, which is just twisted. This is just two people seem like honestly having a friendly moment. I don't know whether that's chemistry necessarily, but it's cute to see. Yeah, agreed. Um, Tom gives Greg the file numbers and the room numbers, and Greg shudders. Cut to Connor asking Wyla to be exclusive with him, which I suppose means an exclusive escort. In payment for that, he offers to fund her work in the theater. Shake my head. Uh, yeah, it, it, there's a certain point of where you can almost visibly see that Wyla has suddenly realized that I'm no longer comfortable, that I was already feeling uncomfortable with this, but now we've crossed the line of where you really do think that this is something that's not. That's something it's not and something it can never be. Um, and I need to make a decision now because otherwise you're going to make it for me. And Wyla, true to her calling, says, yeah, sure. Okay. I'll she do does. It. She doesn't want to live with him. <laughs> no. But, uh, it, yeah. She, she says, sure. And Connor says, slap my face. She does so. And then he awkwardly calls her his girlfriend. Yeah, this is just a really awkward series of scenes between these two. Um, I would love to know what their contract is, though. Is she actually getting hourly for all of this? Because if so, kudos to you, girl. I can only imagine what you're making out of this job. I'm sure she's making a ton. Um, 
I mean, you I have would, to to basically give up your whole personal life. I would hope, hope that Connor negotiated some kind of retention agreement rather than just maintaining an hourly rate. But, you know, I don't know with him and I don't know with their money. God, you're really interested in the details of the arrangement of the prostitute here, Spencer. I, I'm a lawyer. I like contracts. <laughs> Greg goes into Waystar Royco, uh, cut back to the apartment. Logan comes downstairs, sees Ewan. How was your journey? Uh, Ewan responds incredibly long. Ewan says, you look terrible, haggard. Uh, Logan says, thank you. This is going well. Um, yes, Marcia, I've been incredibly unwell. I love his response to that. Yeah. Uh, Marcia sends everyone to the dining room to eat. Greg goes to get the files. Uh, did you notice he has an L.L. Bean book bag on? No, I didn't notice that. He's <laughs> such a fucking kid. Uh, so he's got to sign them out, um, which makes him er- uh, nervous, obviously. He's like asking, like, where does this go? Like, And the, why on earth? I mean, we've... I, I, like hand up I love Greg he's probably my favorite character of the show why didn't he use a fake name when he signed these things out I my presumption was that he had to be cleared to be there and that Tom did not clear it in that way that he was directly instructed to give his name because he's the only one cleared to be in there but right it didn't now. seem like the guy who was checking him out cared what he wrote in the, in the log he was he very can't. very blase about it did, 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 I, I didn't actually. I didn't actually remember. Did he take his ID or anything? No. I didn't, I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's I, I fucking. If I'm Greg right there, I'm writing down BJ Slater. <laughs> Sorry, BJ. You're the full name. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, back at Thanksgiving, Marsha announces they are eating family style from Roman. Ooh, family style. Almost like we're a family. Um, I, I love that this family is so rich that it's a novelty to eat family style. Mm-hmm. Uh, Logan makes an awful attempt at starting to carve the turkey. You can tell this is like an annual tradition where he, you know, kind of cuts the first piece, but he's just barely getting a knife in it this year. Right. Logan asks Ewing how the farm is, and Ewing offers him to uh, come up and see. And Marsha gets a little fool's gold here. She seems to think this is progress. It's not. It's still very bitter on both mm-hmm. sides. Rava comes in. I don't know if you caught this. Roman tells her, you're late. <laughs> Rava's a dick to everybody. If you're a dick to Rava, like, he has no skin in the game with Rava. He's just a At dick all. just to be a dick. That's kind of Roman summarized right there. He's the best. Uh, apparently, Kendall's son is having, quote, a moment. And Kendall gets up and Logan barks for him not to go in there. Quote, he has to do what he's told. Rava says, transitions are difficult. Logan being really funny here. Oh, transitions are difficult. Did you know transitions are difficult? Talking to uh, Shiv, do you notice... And, when Logan is being a particular bully, he gravitates towards Shib. He could he have he could have had that little sidebar with Roman. Roman would have participated with him, obviously. But mm-hmm. he goes to Shib when he's being cruel. It's interesting. Uh, I noticed that, and I, we previously had uh, both Kendall and Roman tell Shib that she's the favorite. So maybe it's an element of that, or maybe it's something else. Yeah, I don't know, but it's it it. it I thought it was great writing. Um, so Greg is freaking out. He calls Tom. Tom assures him it's just a job. Great quote from Greg here. Yeah, shooting bolts into Cal's head is a job, but it's not how I want to spend my Thanksgiving. <laughs> Tom has no response and just hangs up on him. Yeah, Greg has some great lines in this in terms of you know the shooting cows thing. He also has the, uh, but it's okay because this feels like a Watergate sort of scenario, and I never studied that specifically, but I feel like um, I'm correct in saying they all got fucked. <laughs> 
correct line. Yeah. Well, Greg, you know what? You're 100% right there. You got it. <laughs> you, you may not have studied, but you correctly deduced what happens in the cover-up. We cut back to Rava. She is stewing. She says the Roy House words, fuck off. Um, Kendall is trying to get Rava to push his son to go in, and Rava is not loving the idea. So I, kind of weird here. Uh, I don't know where I land on this because, I mean, I, I know that some kids have anxiety issues that you need to take care of. Mm-hmm. But this idea that he can't walk into the dining room is seems to me to be a bit extreme. And I my guess here is mm-hmm. that Rava is really sympathetic to this kid being anxious to go in there yeah. because she thinks that the kid is scared of Logan. Yeah, I think that could be part of it. Um, I, I hate to diagnose a kid on a podcast, but I don't think they're necessarily saying this kid is autistic. Or just that he has anxiety issues is more more my read on the situation. Maybe a little spectrum-y. Hard to say. It's a broad spectrum note. Um, But clearly he has a problem with crowds, a problem with everyone else, and needs a certain degree of prep before he's able to go into this room. And clearly this is also a thing. This is also a conversation that they've had in the past, and Logan does not respond well to it. And that's probably part of our motivation, too, is that because this has now become something that Logan doesn't respond well to it, Logan being Logan is going to poke at it the first time it walks in front of him. The moment this kid walks in, Logan is going to start talking to him and poking him in front of everybody else because it's become a thing that the kid has a problem or has a degree of awkwardness in being around the family. And Rava leaves something on the table here, right? Because, I mean, the the, the appropriate kickback to Logan is, oh, because you raised, raised such healthy children. Like, that's yeah. the that's the line that either shuts him down or she has to leave. But I think mm-hmm. that's the that's the appropriate callback. It's like, well, mm-hmm. can you tell me how to raise my kid? You got such fucked up kids. I mean, look at this whole room. Like, everybody's fucked up. Where, where, um, did she say where his two daughters are? No. Did, are they there? I think they came in the room. Okay, I, I, did, I wasn't quite they, sure. Yeah, uh, because I think Rava was drawing a distinction that, like, okay, they're here. Gotcha. You know, the kid, uh, Iverson, I think is his name, is outside. And I think they end up watching The Greatest Turkey later, too. Yep. Uh, we cut to Greg. This one saves the day. The other goes away. <laughs> this saves the day. The other goes away. Greg dropping the EP here. Um, another you, line. Greg is chopping it up. Greg is chopping it up. <laughs> so what 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 this means here is that Greg is actually shredding the documents, but he is taking a subset of the documents, uh, a sampling, if you will, he's basically and take, keeping he's, it for himself mm-hmm. as a bit of an insurance policy. Which is really clever on Greg's part. And I bet he didn't even have to call, call his mom to work out this particular theory, uh, this particular plan. Yeah. This is, th- Greg is All growing Greg. up before our eyes. I know. He's the best. He's the, look, at this rate, he's going to run the company at some point. At this point, we're seeing more competent decision-making out of him than we're seeing out of what we're meant to be a legitimate business professional. So, yeah, kudos to Greg. He's got potential. Cut back to the apartment, uh, and Logan is showing Wyla his collection of war medals. Do you notice how kind Logan is being to Wyla here? He really is. It's, it's an interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, that was kind of my, that's, that was kind of my thought. That yeah. he, he, as much as the, you know, he kind of just mocks the fact that later on that Connor announces that they're essentially kind of sort of maybe getting married. Uh, he legitimate. we've seen Logan legitimately over the course of the, these episodes respond well to people who are trying to work their way up or trying to earn things. Yep. And he also responds well to people that are just willing to talk with him without a certain element of pretense. And while it seems legitimately interested, not like, not, not, not even just like putting on airs that she finds this interesting. 
And he responds well to that. He act, This is something he actually is passionate about, that he finds interesting, and this is someone who's receptive to it in a way that he probably doesn't get from most of the rest of the family. Yeah, and this is a point you brought up early on, which I thought was a really good one in this uh, season, is that Logan likes people who are working, who, honest yeah. to God, just are trying to do a good job and make themselves better. And I think he views Wiley here um, you know, as just somebody who's just trying to to work and better herself. I don't think he holds it against her that she's a prostitute. I think he just mm-hmm. thinks that she's somebody who has a good work ethic. So he's he's actually focusing in on her as opposed to anyone else in the room, which is yeah. which is really interesting. But Wyla does fuck this up massively here because she asks a stupid question. Spencer, in a million years, you never asked this question. Excuse my ignorance. Did you win any of these? What I interpreted that question. I thought she was making a joke. That's how I interpreted it. I thought that she was well, kind of a shitty joke. joke. I know, I know. It's a bad joke. It didn't work out well. But the fact that he immediately says the Romans that he's that was that was the one that preceded. I thought that she was making a, a, a joke about his age. It doesn't seem like Logan necessarily reacts too poorly to it until Ewan hits it hard. See, I thought she was really asking the question. Um, but either way, it shouldn't have been done because I mean, if he did actually win any of these, he would offer that information. Possibly, yeah. Um, but it, as I mean. It, it is a legitimately awkward line. It could have gone over well, or at least it could have just, you know, landed there and we moved on past it. But this is one of the moments that we see that Ewan is not just an innocent participant in the, the hostile relationship the two of them have. He's actively furthering it. Yeah, Ewan jumps in. Of course not. He never served. Logan explains that he collects the medals out of respect. Ewan fires back at him. Logan then says to Wyla, you know, 50 years ago, he volunteered for a war just to impress the town slut. And now no one, no one ever hears the end of it. <laughs> Pretty funny line. Uh, Tom, I thought Canadians only fought on ice. Good work, Tom. Way to, way to win the room. <laughs> Ewan fires back the Canadians. In fact, served in Vietnam. What was it, like 30,000 of them or something like that? It was. Um, and it escalates. Ewan calls Logan a carnival barker, insults his channels, says he never keeps them on. But where he goes to get noodles has them on. Logan says he doesn't keep them on because he's jealous. Logan then brings up a begging letter. So I think this is what we were that talking about earlier. Yeah, about how Ewan got his money. Um, it seems, I mean, I don't necessarily know what to interpret out of that line, but it seems to suggest that Ewan's current position in, in comfortable isolation is directly the result of Logan. And yes. that moment of injured pride um may have an element of why the, of whatever relationship they may have had in the past how that just turned sour yeah i th- i took this immediately to mean that logan was basically bankrolling ewan and i, I for a couple of reasons one a begging letter and then you know ewan's hurt pride as you pointed out when he says well it's just one letter um also the fact that ewan is on the board he's going to get paid for being on the board and usually a company that size if you're on the board you get paid a lot of money um, so just even being on the board cuts him a check. Yeah. And also, typically, board members have a certain degree of stock ownership in the company, too. So he yeah. may have a pretty substantial share of the company. Probably not the 15% that Stewie's banging around with, of course. But he's... One would have expected that he's a certain measure of comfortable. Um, yep. It's just a question of whether that was... A, whether he played any role in the company in the distant past to have earned that then, or whether this begging letter essentially gave him that, which I don't know if that's ever really made clear in this episode. Yeah. Ewan says that the blood of millions is on Logan's hands. He's talking about climate change. 
Uh, Logan says something about how Ewan wouldn't eat a blueberry unless it had been weighed and written into the ledger, which I took as him hitting his masculinity. Hmm. I call him a patsy. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, Ewan says he was told Logan was ready to apologize and gives a knowing look to Marsha, who looks guilty, because she clearly lied. And he says, you're all liars. You lied to me and you humiliated me. Roman. (laughs) Love Roman here. But other than that, you had a nice time? (laughs) Go fuck yourself. Whoa. I don't know. We don't. I don't know why we don't invite him every year. <laughs> Roman's the best. When he specifically says you lied to me and you humiliated me, he looks at somebody, but it's off camera. Is he looking at Marcia? Yeah, I, th- I thought so. Yeah, that's how I took I, it. That was my interpretation, but they kind of were purposely leaving it unclear exactly who he is because it's very much off camera where he looks. But she seemed to be the one that told him to come. So well, that's because the in choice. the in the shot before then, we focus on Marsha's face, and she looks super guilty. Yeah, this is. I mean, again, I don't see Marsha as having like manipulative intentions for this. I think she legitimately hoped that you now Logan was ill. He's gone through a rough state. This is a moment when maybe things can be built back up between them. And if that's your goal, it seems like it's heartfelt and well meant. It's just utterly doomed to failure between these two people particularly when you brought them in under false uh, pretenses i hate to beat up your girlfriend here but i I do think it was manipulative i mean it may have come from a good place but she did manipulate ewan she lied multiple times and we even saw her lie this episode when he when she said that uh logan was asking for him in the hospital right this is the kind of manipulative thing you see often with families where the person can justify themselves and it's a white lie for their good with the best of intentions for their for their ultimate good but it's very much false pretenses, and we can see how dark that can go in this scene. It's a type of lie that a grandmother would tell. Oh, yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Um, Marcia seems upset, and then Logan looks at her and says, it was your idea. Like, you did this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, Marcia taking some L's this episode. Greg is done shredding. He takes his files that makes it go away. And some guys arrive in an unmarked van. Greg tries to talk to them. They don't talk to him. Uh, then Greg figures out, oh, I guess I wasn't supposed to talk. Anything you want to talk about there? No, no. Again, kudos to Greg for finding a way out of what is an otherwise untenable situation. Because he had no good options other than the one he found. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Kendall follows Ewan into the elevator. Bad move here. Starts to explain how Logan isn't himself. May destroy the company, etc., etc. Ewan asks if he has a plan. Kendall, dummy that he is, uh, explains that there's going to be a vote of no confidence at the next board meeting. Kendall wants a reaction. Ewan, my brother is an ex-Scot, an ex-Canadian, ex-human being, but he's still my brother. Ewan turns around to go back inside. Big, big mistake here from Kendall. Because, I mean, I I genuinely believe Ewan was going to leave. I don't think Ewan was going to... I think he was just leaving. Yeah, and it's just... I don't get Kendall's thought process here. You really don't know this man. He's probably only met this man a handful of times in the past. Yeah. I yeah. based on my relationship. And he's working under the presumption, based on what he just saw, that this is a guy I can get to back me in going against uh, going against Logan. But why did and, he need to do that? He has the votes as long as Ewan stays away. Ewan yeah. was leaving. Like, yeah. why even bring it up to him? You don't I mean, need his vote. It's just such an unnecessary risk with an unknown situation that you are just... You're revealing your secret plans to a person that could help directly undermine them without any basis for knowledge about what he's going to say in response. And that's just such an unnecessary risk. and so dumb and so Kendall. Yeah, yeah. Catch up on a burrito. Tom is talking to Shib. Uh, he mentions that there are no infidelities clause. There is no infidelities clause in their prenup. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. 
She says they don't need that because if something happens, they are both grown-ups. Uh, okay. Really dismissive here. Go ahead. <laughs> uh -huh. So if you were told by a partner that, uh, that this agreement, which is apparently just utterly unconscionable in terms of its level of detail and how it's going to respond to every possible situation, if it has that notable absence and in response she says, well, we don't need that because it's not going to happen. And if it does, we're both grown-ups. Uh, that... I'll tell you exactly what I would do. Yeah, sure. Uh, I would I would say, okay, let's talk about this when we get home. And we got home. I would say, okay, so you want an open marriage. Um, and here are my terms for that. If I was yeah. willing to you know, do it. Because right. I think that Tom, in some capacity, is likely willing to do it because of the financial arrangements of the relationship. So if Tom's making the call, hey, I'm here for the money. Then you'd say, okay, well, all right, open relationship, but maybe you just tell me whoever it is, and I like have some visibility into what's going on. Right. And but obviously, he needs to address the elephant in the room, which is that Shib plans on cheating on him. Yes. That Shib clearly, as you said, wants an open relationship. She wants the option to be with people other than Tom. And I don't think Tom fully understands that. I don't think Tom is willing to wield the perspective necessary to get that right now and have the intelligent conversation that you just talked about. And so this is a recipe for disaster, in part because she's not willing to have that honest conversation with him, because I don't know why. I Again, is this just she wants to maintain the polite fiction? Uh, she doesn't yep. feel that she needs to meet him on equal terms about this, that he'll just be okay with it when it happens? Yep. Uh, all the above. I think all those are right. I mean, advice for all people in relationships. Relationships are whatever you want them to be. Relationships are whatever, whatever kind of thing you two want to share. And that can happen in all kinds of remarkable ways. But the only way that happens is if you have the conversation and discuss this like two co-equal adults. If you can't do that about a topic, it should tell you something. And clearly, these two can't do that. Did we just debut a new segment? Relationship advice from Spencer? Relationship advice is a result of what we've seen the Roys do. I think we might have had a new segment. Woo, that's nice. God help us all. Uh, he ends it by saying, uh, or she ends it by saying she's never cheated on him, which I thought was interesting phrasing. She's not saying, I never will. She's saying, I haven't yet. Uh, Roman, who is listening to this conversation, good God, that's hilarious that he's been in the other room, just pokes his head in. I believe her. Do you, do you believe her? Although she does coach professional liars for a living. You have to factor that in. Thank you, Roman. Your your contribution is appreciated. It's not the typical, like, you know, jerking off with idea goop, like, fucking line from Roman here, but I think that might be ro uh, Roman line of the episode right there. Because it, it's smart. It is legit. I mean, so many of the Roman's lines, like you said, are just, you know, delightfully random. They're coming from a weird place. This one's cutting. This one is a legitimate, accurate deduction yep. uh, that Tom was not having yet until Roman put it in before him. Credit to Roman. Honestly, Tom needed that right then. He needed to actually have that thought. And Roman gave it to him. Roman didn't do it to be helpful in any sense of the word. He did it to be the troll that he is. But credit to him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, well, it's interesting. I think Roman is kind of nudging Tom there. I mean, I, yeah. I think he's being a dick first and foremost. But I think a secondary thing he's accomplishing here is he's saying, come on, Tom, you don't believe that shit, do you? Yeah. His motivation is to be a dick. But yes, that is what he's doing. Right. Um, Ewan is now going back upstairs and Kendall is in full panic mode because he thinks that Ewan's going to go in and tell Logan exactly what he just told him. Um, and he doesn't. He's apparently gone back up there to get his walking stick. He does drop this line. This whole family is a nest of vipers. They wrap themselves around you and suffocate you. Greg, I think that's boa constrictors. Greg's right here. <laughs> well, yeah. Checks out. 
it, it's a it's a mess of things. I mean, it, the nest of vipers is the term. Uh, it's just the suffocating thing is not necessarily their thing. They're more about the whole envenomation thing. But you well, know, it works ish. Good yeah. call by Greg. Greg, Greg's right here. Greg got yeah. the W. Uh, Logan yells at Kendall's son to go into the room with everyone else. The kid Iverson gets up scared and complies. Uh, and Roman is cracking up. It, 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 are we seeing how uh, Logan's style of parenting really much at play here with Iverson? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's how he treated his kids, and that's why they're as fucked up as they are. Now, I'm not going to completely dismiss Logan here because I do think that there's a t- uh, there's a, a moment or there's a, a line in the sand with kids where you have to say, "Look, dude, you got to buck up." Yeah, the exposure. I don't know if he's there. Thing. We don't. Yeah, we don't know where this kid is or any of the medical history of the kid or whatever. But there are instances where you need to say, "Look, you need to just go." You need to and, do this. And credit to a certain degree from that perspective, the kid goes in and eats dinner and then participates in the game with the family. Yep. And it doesn't become a problem until Logan does a legitimately wrong thing later. Yeah, so I mean, I'm not 100% sure Logan's wrong here. But again, we don't have that enough background uh, to yeah. know. Uh, Roman catches Grace watching the big turkey movie. Uh-oh. <laughs> Roman gets more upset here than I would think. Um, he says that they need to have a talk. And she says, what talk? Uh, I'm just not in a place right now where I can blah. It's not you. It's blah. I always care for blah. Please, those pics of my cock and blah, blah. That kind of talk. <laughs> he literally says blah. He literally <laughs> says blah in this conversation. You're not cutting lines. I'm just not in a place right now where I can blah. It's not you. It's blah. <laughs> God, this is this is how he breaks up with her. Uh, and Phenomenal. She, and she responds back with some interesting lines. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm back to not working blue. What does she say? Uh oh. Okay, you want to talk about how we only fuck once every six months? Hmm. <laughs> to which he just responds, fuck you, because he has no response to that line. But She hmm. says, you don't want to talk about that? And he says, we just did. Shut up. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, so these two just broke up, right? Yeah. Kind of, maybe? I think they did. Uh, um, yep. So, R.I.P. Grace. Uh, it's all over the big turkey movie, which apparently... It, which is just mortally offensive to Roman, is legitimately funny to its target demographic, kids and high people. Which is why he's more angry than he should be. Because he was wrong. That, yeah. That it's, it is funny. It is successful. It's doing what it intended to be. So yeah, that is very much his place of bruised pride he's coming from. Yeah. Meanwhile, Greg is eating everything he can get his hands on. Poor guy. <laughs> he's finally there. He, he wanted to have lunch eat. in Canada like fucking a day and a half ago. Um, it's true. Sit- he didn't eat for 12 hours. He finally gets there and then he's sent off to do work. This guy's starving. Yeah, he's really hungry. They sit down to eat pie and Tom brings up that they should say what they are thankful for. Now, Spencer, oh, when you have, um, you know, Thanksgiving with your family, do you guys go through this? What we you're thankful do. for? We do go through this and it is a heartfelt, well-meant moment of family bonding that this family should never, ever, ever attempt. So I'm going to tell a personal story. So, my family really doesn't do this. Um, I kind of do it with with my wife a little bit. We just kind of kind of reflect on the year. Um, mm-hmm. But I dated this girl one time, and she took me to her Thanksgiving dinner with her family. First time I ever met the family. I was like the the non paid Wyla in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you sell yourself weird. Okay, go on. <laughs> I was I was not being paid. Let's just put that out there. But I did go, and it was the first time I ever met. And they did this. And around the table, everyone started crying. Oh, and that's to weird. a person, everyone cried when they talked about what they were thankful for. And then it came to me. What did you and do? 
I'm fascinated. What you do? All right. Not one of my better moments, but I tried to kind of break the room and kind of tell a joke. So I said I was <laughs> thankful that the 2008 North Carolina Tar Heels won the national championship. <laughs> I did. How did that go over? Oh, like a lead fucking balloon. Everybody was so into it. It was such an intense emotional time. And I was like, what am I supposed to do here? Fucking crying from these people. I don't know who they are. This girl I barely like. Like, this is crazy. So I'm like, yeah, I'm just really happy we, we won the championship going away in 08. Blew out Michigan State in the title game. It was great. Mm-hmm. What, <laughs> what, let's be fair. Great moment in life right there. <laughs> no. It's, I just, uh, I don't think I've ever told Levi that story, but I think our, our friend Levi, who's on Whiskey on the Weekends with us, would be very, very uh, you're, proud you're, of me. You're repeating this on Whiskey on the Weekends, by the way. Yeah, you know, I can do that. <laughs> I don't care if this is 20 years in the past. This is this this is a story that's this this is this was your on brand for the last week. That's <laughs> true. I totally did that. Uh, anyway, they're all they're saying what they're thankful for. Uh, Roman says, "I'm thankful I wasn't born a Siamese twin." Ship says, "I'm thankful for that too." Funny line from her. <laughs> Greg says he's thankful that Logan is doing better, uh, and that pisses Tom off. Well, that goes without saying, Greg. <laughs> We're all thankful for that, Greg. <laughs> uh, uh, question, by the way. Are Schiff and Roman legitimately twins? Are they fraternal twins? No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, but maybe. I don't know. It's a good question. Why would she say, I'm thankful for that, too, if they weren't? I, 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 thought, I kind of thought this implied that they were actually twins, which I just didn't know that about them. It just kind of makes the bickering little fights that they have all, all, all the more interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like when they fought in the hospital. Yeah, like physically. Was... <laughs> uh, Tom says he's thankful for marrying into such a wonderful family. Roman, um, does that mean you're not marrying Ship? <laughs> Funny lot. I mean, this is something that Tom is bringing from his Thanksgiving because he doesn't get to have Thanksgiving with his family, right? This is how we're this is how we're interpreting this. Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. just like a little, just a little thing that he can, uh, you know, a, a thing he's used to that he's trying to impart here, and it's just mm-hmm. not a good thing for this family to do. Because Mm-mm. they're all so fucking mean. Cut to Grace, who just got broken up with over a big turkey movie, and says, I'm thankful for all the love Roman has shown me. For never being selfish or self-centered or egocentric or neurotic or unfaithful. Roman <laughs> never looks up from his glass and just says, you're very welcome. <laughs> really awkward. Marsha proposes they play a game. So this is the I went to market game. It's a memory game. I think that's on purpose from Marsha. What, what big... Go ahead. One thing to hit before we leave this thing. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Amir. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Because th- this is interesting. And this is a surprise to the family. Because Amir, who everyone kind of vaguely knows, like he hasn't seemingly been invited to many of these before. Yep. Uh, says, they make, he actually said, can I say something? Logan, Logan actually says, go ahead. I'm thankful for the opportunity to hit up animation in Europe. And I hope to turn around an underperforming division. And I think it's Kindle that says, well, I'm thankful that you told us that about that then. I think that was Roman. Wasn't Roman, it? okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very, very weird moment here. It, 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 I mean, clearly Marsha's very close with what is suggested as her son, but no one ever really confirms this. No, they don't really uh, know who this kid is. Uh, but this is clearly a surprise reveal, and this seems to add to Roman and Kendall's thoughts that Logan's not fully there and is being manipulated. Yeah, and like, also I thought the way he did it was sort of fucked up. How he's like, yeah, it's a shit division. Maybe I can make it better. Like, I, the family has pride in the company. Like, you're going to piss somebody off mm-hmm. by saying that. I'm not sure under which umbrella animation in Europe falls, but I'm sure it's either Roman or Kendall. 
Probably, yeah, and that is a bit of an attack against them. Now, it, seem, it seems to be something that Logan would say. I'm guessing in some ways he's responding to what Logan probably told him about what's going on. And I'm sure, cl- or through Marsha. When he's saying this, he's clearly talking to Marsha and Logan. There's the people that he's thanking for this opportunity. It's nice that he's doing that. The family's kind of secondary to what, he, what he's saying here. Yeah, I completely agree. But anyway, we're, we go on to this I went to market game again. It's a memory game. You basically say, uh, you grab a can and you say, I went to market and I got, like, I'd say potato, go to you, you'd say a gimp suit, and then we'd go to, like, Levi, and he'd be like, you know, uh, I don't know, like, chaos. Uh, you know, like, everybody picks something, and then you have yep. to remember what everyone said uh, as you go. So I think Marsha's doing this to try to help uh, Logan here. Have you had, have you been made to play the, this kind of game before? No, and I probably wouldn't participate. Sounds kind of like a lame game. Uh, I had to do this in law school my first day when I was still when I was just going like those initial meet meet the group you're going to be in school with kind of thing of where put into a class with about 45 people just to talk. And then the instructor said, OK, we're going to play the island game of where everyone says they're stuck on a desert island. What are they bringing to the island? And they have to repeat everybody, everybody's thing that they brought before them before they introduced the new thing. Now, you know me, I don't like, you know, people or social situations that much. So I'm sitting at the very back of this 45-person room. Oh, shit. (laughs) And so, and there's no paper. There's no notes. You're not allowed to. And so I had 39 people before me that I had to try to remember. Wow. Uh, Did you do it? I actually, by, you know, just sheer determination and sheer paranoia that I was meeting these people the first time, I actually did it. I just had to tell about three jokes in the process just to how utterly mortified I was at this game. I, I could, 39, I couldn't have done that. There's no way. I, it, it, there's no amount of determination where I could have done that. So it's, you. it's actually really effective as an initial introduction game because for the next six months, we knew the, the other people in our group by the item they brought. Isn't that hilarious, though, that Marsha's playing an introduction game with their immediate <laughs> family? Well, she's really trying to build the family. This is very much in her mind that I'm taking disconnected pieces of this puzzle and I'm trying to put them together for the first time. I'm trying to build something right now. So, in effect, she is treating this as if these people have met each other for the first time because she wants that to be true. She wants them to start from the ground floor so they actually have a hope of building something that resembles a family. Yeah, so they all go off to play the game and Tom approaches Wiley. He tries to punk her uh, and she hits him hard with, hey, listen, at least I'm the... I'm only getting fucked by one member of this family, which Tom does not have a <laughs> comeback for. Uh, cut to the game. They're playing the game. Roman gets the can. Uh, comes up with a crack pipe and a gimp suit. Finally plays along. <laughs> hands it to Logan. Uh, Roman. Good line from him. Come on, Dad. What's it going to be? A hot dog? Immortality? China? The soul of a nation? <laughs> Logan seems confused. Marsha tries to help him. Shib tries to help him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just says, I bought local TV. Um they were like, yeah, but that's kind of not how it works. You have to keep, you know, mm-hmm. to say what well, all we said. And Logan still seems confused. Iverson jumps up. This is where he looks a little spectrum here because this is like yeah. a weird thing for a kid to be doing. Points out that Logan lost. He tries to take the can from him. And in a completely inexcusable moment, Logan hits the kid in the face with the can. Yeah. And all hell breaks loose. Yeah. This is where things just go utterly to crap. And this is an interesting moment from Logan of where... I almost got the vague notion that this might have been a further example of him being diminished. Because everyone's legitimately shocked that he did this. That this is just entirely outside the realm of anything else. This is almost just like, you've got an old person that you're briefly accosting and just utterly confused, they smack. Just um, That's almost how I interpreted this. Is not something he necessarily con- 
consciously did, but I don't know. Because it just utterly goes into a maelstrom of emotions after this happens. Yeah, I think it's out of character for him because we've not seen that he's physically abusive. Um, no. And just the reaction from Kendall, how Kendall really freaks out, shows that he was not expecting it. And then later on, you know, when you have uh, Kendall, he's outside with Iverson and, and Rava. Kendall seems genuinely shocked that this occurred. Yeah. Um, one thing to clarify that makes the version of the game they're doing a lot harder than the one I did. Uh, for the island game, the item you bring has to share the first letter of your name, which makes it a lot easier to remember the things. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I still couldn't have done it, but that, that, that does make it easier. <laughs> it also makes it easier to help remember the names of the people, too, because you tie it to the item. Um, but, yeah, it, it is... Everyone, everything just descends into chaos this moment, once this happens. Because, you know, if this happened at a party you're at, I can't imagine that any family would react any differently. If things just utterly fall apart and disperse. Well, yeah, I mean, he hit a fucking six-year-old in the face with a fucking steel can like this crazy yeah. crazy behavior kindles in the patio jerry approaches him with questions she eventually says quote i work for waystar not logan roy are you thinking of moving against him because if you are i've spoken to frank and i've seen all i need to see mm-hmm. so so we have a line from jerry she draws the line at assaulting kids that's where she she gets off the <laughs> she's willing she to make a stand on this particular shit. i mean it's utterly undefensible there's nothing you can say about this other than okay Maybe you're right. Maybe this guy is diminished right now. Maybe this guy is a possible threat to the company. Because what else do you say in that moment? You know, um, and when I watched it the first time, I thought he was. And then we have the rest of the episode. It, in the, yeah, this is the interesting debrief moment of this episode of where everybody else is dispersed. He's alone now in the room with Marsha. And she's helping she help, she, she's helping him uh, dress for the evening. And um, he... I don't know if this is him, you know, finding himself again for a moment or, like you said, maybe revealing something about himself that he isn't as diminished, maybe. But he completes the game, repeating yep. everything accurately. Yep, he does. And Marcia seems genuinely really impressed by that, happy for him. Um, before that, we have a montage of people either in bed or preparing for bed with a great parallel with both Wyla and Tom. Um you know, Tom is not a formal prostitute, but he is there for the money in the same way that Wyla is. And he also is stuck in a, at least mostly loveless relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And both Wyla and Tom are not able to sleep laying there next to these people who are, you know, abusing them uh, or not treating them well. I mean, they're both whoring themselves out for something they're not necessarily comfortable with. At least Wyla was being honest about it. Yep. Um, And of course, you know, Logan recites everything correctly and we end with Kendall. Now, this is an interesting scene. It looked to me like Kendall went out for a run. He's got, like, workout gear and he's in the park. But he's stopping and smoking a cig. It's, like, the most fucking, like, Doug thing. Our friend Doug who used to do this shit. <laughs> I'd go on a run with him and he would stop at a corner and smoke a cigarette and then, like, do another two miles. It, Doug works out like some 1950, 1970s parody of how athlete, athletics was done then. <laughs> some old boxer. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a great uh, way to put it. But yeah, I think that's what Kendall was doing there. But anyway, we're done with the episode. That's the end of the recap. Okay. So, best line, best Roman line of the episode? Yes, I will award that. Do you have any thoughts here? Uh, my recommendation, just because it amused me so much, is just Kim Jong-pop. That that one just tickled me so much, that initial yeah, line. of not how things work in this country, Kim Jong-pop. Uh, yeah, no, I think the ro- best Roman line of the episode, not going to be a surprise to anybody. I believe her. Do you believe her? Yeah. Although she does coach professional liars for a living. You have to factor that in. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's a very astute directed line from Roman, which 
catches you off guard and makes you pay attention. And it's legitimately, it is setting a tone for Tom that's gonna, probably going to play out in the next few episodes. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the best Roman line of the episode. Do you want to award Roy of the episode? Well, I'd love to hear your nomination first. It's a tough one, uh, but I'm going to say Roy of the episode is Greg. Yeah, hands because down. Absolutely. This one goes away, the other saves the day. Absolutely. Greg is presented with an untenable situation, and unlike Tom, he has an exit plan. He has a way of covering himself that Tom apparently never even thought of. This is legitimately smart on Greg's part. He has no other choice about the situation, and he finds the only way to protect himself and preserve the information from that moral standpoint, too. So, very much kudos to him. He is so low on the totem pole, he can do this because everyone thinks he's he's below repute. Um, So, yeah, I I fully agree. Greg is the winning Roy of this episode. Yep. Not that he had much competition. The Roys lose pretty hard this episode. Yeah, it was a lot of losers. (laughs) One winner, a bunch of losers in this episode. But there we go. We've done it. Episode 5, Roy Family Thanksgiving. You got through the awkwardness, Spencer. Um, Any closing thoughts on this episode as we go into the back half of the season? We've talked about arcs that this show goes on for its season. And the initial arc was, you know just debating the succession in the light of Logan's incapacity. It seems like the one we're going on from here now is going to be what is Kendall's efforts at a coup of where he legitimately, he legitimately seems like he is putting together a plan made possible because Frank and now Jerry are on his side and they can actually be the adults in the room that can broker this to happen. But he wants this vote of no confidence to go forward. And he, has made a couple missteps with Ewan, but otherwise he's putting together a pretty powerful coalition to make this happen. So I'm betting this is going to be the subject of the next episode or two. Yep. I think that's safe to say it will be. I enjoyed it, Spencer. Love talking about the show with you. Anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Always a pleasure, mate. Looking forward to the next episode. Absolutely. Thanks everybody for listening. It's Mango Talks TV. Uh, We're going to have episode six out within the week. See you then.